0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast for 613. This message was given by Danny Strange. I'm really excited about this series. I've been planning it for a while. It's called We Need Grace. The grace of God is two things. Two things. Grace is actually a concept that was taken from the Roman world... And the grace of the empire meant two things in the Roman world. One, if you were a Roman citizen, like the Apostle Paul, you lived in the grace of the Roman empire, which meant that you were a citizen in good standing of the kingdom. And two, grace was not just a standing, but was also, grace was something that could be poured out upon you and bestowed upon you. So a king could say, you are in my graces, that's your standing, but also, I will give you my grace in this instant. That's another way of grace. So grace is an action, and grace is a standing. And the New Testament writers borrowed that idea of grace to talk about our relationship with God because of Christ's work on the cross in the empty tomb. So because of what Christ has done for us, we stand in grace In the kingdom of God, we can stand before the king and not worry about judgment, not worry about punishment or condemnation. We are in his kingdom. We are in the good graces of the kingdom of the God Most High. And also grace is something that God lavishes upon us. He pours out his grace to bring us into his kingdom. When we sin, he pours out his grace and brings us forgiveness. Grace is not only something that we stand in, but grace is something that we receive from God. And when Jesus came and talked about grace, there were people who understood that they needed it and people who did not understand that they needed it. And the same thing is true today. There are some people even in this room tonight who know that they are people who need God's grace, that we depend on God and his goodness for us to be sustained. And there are people who don't know that. Either because they think they're too far gone and they don't want anything to do with God's grace, or they think that they are good people who are good enough on their own that they don't need God's grace, they'll take care of it themselves. And when Jesus came and talked, a lot of times he was going after the righteous people. And he was telling them, you guys think that you don't need the grace of God, and it's going to destroy you. And so through this series... I thought that we were going to be teaching a lot on these heartwarming, here's the grace of God kind of talks. And yet, when I looked at Jesus' parables regarding grace, most of them were pointed at religious folks who were in danger of never coming to God because they thought they didn't need Him. They could be good enough on their own. So, tonight, as we start our series, my question for all of us is where are you with all this? Do you know you need God's grace? Or do you think that you don't? Or do you know that you need it, but you don't think he'll give it to you? Tonight, as we open the word and as we open in prayer, my prayer is that all of us would understand, especially tonight as we start, where we are on this whole spectrum here. So that when God speaks regarding being people of grace, we would know with which words he's speaking to us. Let's pray, and then we'll open up God's word together. Father, your word teaches us that we need grace. As sinners, before we knew you, we were outside of your kingdom and we needed you to lavish grace upon us so that we might be in your good graces. And for those in this room who still stand outside of your kingdom, we pray that you would make that evident to them so that they would become recipients of your grace by coming to you and seeking forgiveness and finding it. Pray for those who believe that they are inside of your kingdom. That the humble among us would recognize that we always need grace and you always give it. And you are a wonderful father who lavishes grace upon those who stand in your grace. And for those who think they're too good for your grace or don't need it because they'd rather do it on their own, we pray that you would cut to their hearts tonight. Help them to see that you are a God who is not desiring people to prove themselves to you, but you are a God who is desiring people who will come to you with open hands to receive the grace that you love to lavish on lost people like us. Help us to see ourselves in these words tonight. Protect anyone in here who is humble and knows they need grace from feeling like you're bringing condemnation on them. But help those who need a sharp word of grace maybe to find the end of themselves tonight and the beginning of a real relationship with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to the book of Luke, chapter 13. been in First John for the last 10 weeks and it's nice to be in a large book. It's easy to find that one. Luke 13. <clears throat> now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans' whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died, When the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Last Sunday night, I was driving home from 613 down Redwood Road. And as I passed Redwood Chapel, I saw a motion coming out of the right side of my car. And before I could blink, before I could gather my thoughts, before I could react, all of a sudden, boom! Something exploded on my windshield. And the first thought in my mind was one of just sheer terror, I thought the zombie apocalypse had happened or something, you know, or meteors were striking and and my heart started beating. You know, it's like when a police officer pulls up behind you, that was my first reaction. Ah! But as I gathered my wits and my thoughts, and I noticed the little chunks of lemon in my windshield wiper, I realized that this was not a meteor. But some punk kid was throwing lemons at my car. And it's crazy how quickly my thoughts turned from terror to rage. You know, I'm not a fighting man. But I I don't know what comes over me in times like this. I just had this image in my mind of pulling my car over like I could do anything, right? Pulling my car over, finding that kid. And and that scene from Elf started happening in my head when those bullies were throwing snowballs at the kid. I just pictured myself grabbing like a hundred lemons and just like (laughs) destroying them. Now something comes over me when I feel like I've been wronged, wrongly, and I I, want to come back and destroy them. You know, it's like when you're driving down the freeway and you see somebody darting in and out of traffic. You start looking around like, where's the police officer? Because what your heart wants is for them to get justice at that time. Now, I was driving through Dallas one time, heading north on the Dallas North Tollway, 70 miles an hour. And all of a sudden in my rearview mirror, I see this black Porsche just flying up the freeway. And I'm going 70 and this thing passes me like I'm standing still. And I just get that feeling like somebody's gonna take this guy down. (laughs) And like 10 seconds later, I see a man in the distance standing on the side of the road. And I slow my car down, and there's a man with his head in his hands looking down into the ravine at his upside down black Porsche. That somehow he flew out of it when he flew out of the freeway. And because he was okay, I thought, <laughs> serves him right. You try to show off your car, you fly it down a ravine. And it was that picture of perfect justice. Because I didn't want him to die. But I wanted him to lose that pretty black car of his. There's something in us that when bad things happen to us and to those who love, that we love, (laughs) we want to see justice and we want it now. I believe that this is what these people were thinking about when Jesus was talking in Luke chapter 12 about judgment coming. If you go back tonight and, and read that 12th chapter of Luke, we see that Jesus just keeps hammering on this point that judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. He says, look around, it's coming. And all of the Jews at that time would seem to be thinking, good, finally. We've been living under this Roman rule for so long. And there's these evil people in our midst and they're trying to force us to obey them. There's persecution. We know that we are God's people, and he wants the earth to be our inheritance. When will God bring justice to the world and destroy the Romans? Luke records that there was one group of people who was standing there with Jesus, and, and what they were thinking about when Jesus was talking about justice was a tragic story of what some Romans had done to their fellow, fellow Jews. Apparently there were some folks from Galilee, so up in the north area of Israel, who were coming down to Jerusalem to worship. It must have been the Passover because they were bringing these animals with them. So it were these holy sojourners who were coming from north, going down into Jerusalem and back up the hill into the holy city, and they were carting along these sacrificial animals with them because their desire was that they would go and worship their God. It's all they wanted. They weren't crazy people. They weren't insurrectionists. They were humble folks wanting to worship their creator. And and part of the worship was bringing these animals so that they might be sacrificed to cleanse them from their sin. And as these Galileans are coming down, they run into a group of Roman soldiers that were under Pilate's care. And something happened. It must have been an argument or a standoff. And these guards slaughter these people, these humble worshiping people. These soldiers just cut them to the ground. And the terrible image that stuck in all of Jewish people's minds was these worshiping people's blood flowing down the street mixed with the blood of these animals that they were intending to sacrifice for their salvation. And as Jesus is talking about justice coming, and the people are thinking, finally, a group in the crowd come to Jesus, a crowd of thousands, and say, did you hear about what happened? Did you hear what the Romans did? Did you hear about these worshiping folks that were cut down by the sword, who all they wanted was to sacrifice these animals, and yet their blood was shed? Did you hear about that, Jesus? Jesus? And since Jesus had been talking about justice, chances are they were looking for some some sympathy. Assuming that Jesus would say, I heard about it. That's what I'm talking about. Judgment's coming. This kind of thing won't happen much longer. Our God is coming to avenge that death. The Romans will be destroyed and we will be freed. That's what they thought Jesus would say. But Jesus doesn't say that he arrests their passion with a question. He takes the rage away from the Romans and he brings up a question that that many of us have wondered about, which is why does God let good people suffer? Jesus, in response to this account of the Galileans, he said, do you think that these Galileans were worse than everyone else who lived in Galilee and that's why they suffered this way? It brings up that question of why did these people's God let them die? Why would the God of the universe that these men and women worship, why would he allow them to be cut down by their enemy on their way to worship him? Were they worse than anyone else? Were those the the little band of the worst Galileans? They were the most sinful folks among the worshipers, and that's why God let them die? You know, if God is a God who brings justice to evil people like the Romans, then what happens when he brings justice to the Galileans? Were they the most evil ones of all of them? A lot of us have wondered that. It's crazy how often terrible things happen in the world and Christians get on TV. Christians get in the news. Christians get on the radio and they start talking about the reason that God brings judgment to people is that they must have been more evil than us. Remember the tsunami back in like 2004 that hit Southeast Asia and all those people were destroyed and, and Christians say, well, because they don't worship Jesus down there. And these people are worse than us. That's why God destroys them. That's why, that's why disasters like that don't happen in America. And then the next year, Katrina happened. And New Orleans gets destroyed. And the Christians get on the radio, and they get on TV, and they get in the newspaper, and the Christians say, well, the reason that that happened to them is because the people who live in New Orleans are worse sinners than all the other ones who live in America. You know, that's where sin happens. Bourbon Street, that's why. There's all the drugs, and the drunkenness, and the prostitution, and the partying. God brings judgment to the most evil Jesus says, is that why these Galileans died? Were they like the partier ones? Were they the evil Galileans? Did they have secret sin no one knew about and so God destroyed them? Is that? Is that why? Jesus says, I tell you no. And he looks at the crowd of thousands and says, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And as the people start probably getting riled up because they just, Jesus just took an act of terror from the Romans against their own people and put the finger on the people, Jesus says, okay, well, let's talk about another case study. Remember in Jerusalem, the, the, the holy city of God, when that tower down in the corner of the city fell and killed 18 people, you remember that? No Romans pushed that tower. There were no swords. Well, we would consider that an act of God if we were filing the insurance claim, right? So why did those 18 people die? You now These weren't some far-off people from Galilee, those weirdo fisher people, right? These were people who lived in God's holy city. Were they the worst 18? Doubtless, out of the thousands of people in that crowd, a ton of them had friends and family and loved ones who died in that terrible accident. No one could say, yes, those were the worst 18 people in our city. Jesus agrees. He says, no, they weren't the worst. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus follows up this idea of judgment is coming, With a statement that judgment is coming for everyone. I like the idea of judgment coming for that black Porsche. Judgment coming for those licentious lemon lobbers on Redwood Road. But judgment's not coming for me. I'm a good person. And the the kids with the lemons and the guy with the black Porsche. And that guy speeding on the freeway, those were probably the three worst people in this city. And so of course judgment can come for them, but for me? For us? In my Bible at the top of Luke 13, it says repent or perish. That reminds me of a sign that angry Christians hold. You ever seen those signs? And in this passage... Jesus isn't holding that sign at sinners. He's holding that sign at God's people. His judgment is coming. Are you ready? The question Jesus wants the crowd to wrestle with, and I believe the question that God wants all of us to wrestle with, is will we be ready when God's judgment comes? Jesus doesn't say God's going to come and destroy each person in this room. He's saying God is coming and he does not want you to perish. And so repent. And which assumes that the problem with the people out in the crowd was that they did not think they needed to repent. This is a case of Jesus coming to religious people who think they're too good to need grace. And he says nothing is more dangerous for your everlasting soul than to think that you do not need the grace of God. It's easy to read passages like this and think of God as this angry one who wants to come and destroy us. But Luke records that Jesus tells a parable to help them understand the perspective of the one who is coming in judgment. Jesus says, imagine that there was a vineyard. You buy this plot of land. and You plant grapes on it. And on this land there's this fig tree off in the distance. Now, if you bought a plot of land and there was a fig tree on it, well, unless you're just like a terrible, like, I want a bunch of money out of this land, you're probably just going to go and start cutting down all the trees, right? You leave the nice fig tree, you plant the grapes around it, and that's what this landowner did. He planted these grapes in this vineyard alongside this fig tree. And the owner left and left this vineyard to a man who tended it. And day and night, the man would come out and he'd water the, I don't know if they would water vineyards back then. I don't know. He would tend to the vines, and he would make sure they were growing, and he would pull out the weeds, he would make sure they are growing right, and he would sculpt the vines, and all these things. And year after year, this landowner would come back, and he would check on his vines, and he happened to notice that this fig tree, year after year, was standing in his vineyard, but there were no figs on it. A barren fig tree. Just Year one. The landowner comes back, sees the little grape sprouts and the barren fig tree. Year number two, the man comes back, sees the the bigger grape vines and this barren fig tree. Year number three, he comes back and the vines are starting to bloom. And grapes are starting to emerge. And finally the fruits of his labor and his time are starting to come out. And his vineyard's picking up. And they can have their first harvest. And he looks over and barren fig tree. If you own that field, what would you say to the guy who was in charge of it? You would probably say, listen, for three years, I've been coming and checking on my vines. Hey, you're doing a great job. The grapes are starting to come up. The vines are growing. But I, I happen to notice that this fig tree here is not making any figs. Let's cut it down. So that it doesn't just stand there and rob the soil of nutrients. We could put some grapes there instead that can actually make us some money. That's not an evil landowner. That's just a landowner. That's what I would do. That's probably what you would do. And yet the one that he had hired to tend the vineyard responds and says, give it time. I'm working on it. Let me dig a trench around it. Let me till up the soil. Let me get water to the roots. Let me fertilize it. Let's see what we can do. Let's not cut this tree down yet. Let's let's give it a little more time. And hey, if you come back next year, there's still no fruit. Fine, let's cut it down. But let's give it more time. In the context of judgment, Jesus says that this is a picture of how God looks at us. Any person that could step objectively out of the world and look down upon the creation God has made would say, "Um, God, you planted this thing and it started to grow but I don't see a lot of fruit down there. There's people rebelling against you. There are people that are going their own way. There are people cursing you. People who call themselves your own people are committing terrible atrocities. They hate each other. They don't care for each other. No one seems to have compassion for the poor and the lonely and the lost. God, why why don't you just destroy the thing and, and start over? And Jesus presents the Father as this vine dresser who says, give them more time. I'm working on this thing. Let me see if I can do some work in the soil. Let me take a trench and put some fertilizer around it. I, I, I'm going to come back and I'm going to judge this place, but give these people time. Who knows? Maybe they'll turn to me and start bearing some fruit. And we hear that judgment is coming and God calls us to repent. And we think, that's kind of rude. God wants to destroy us. Jesus says, no, God does not want to destroy anyone. God planted us on this earth and we run away from him. And as God looks down and sees that, he gives us time. The Bible says that God is long-suffering. That he lets us hurl insults at him. He lets us walk our own way. He lets us do the most terrible things when he should destroy us. He, He lets us because, in Jesus' words here, God would say, who knows? Maybe fruit will start to grow. Sometimes we think that we've wandered from God and he's done with us. But what this parable teaches us is that if you've wandered from God... And you're alive. The reason you're alive is that God is looking towards you saying, give him time. I want him to come back. The reason that God lets us stay is because he wants us to come to him. He wants to see that fruit growing. He wants us to turn, to repent, as Jesus says, and come back to the Father and find grace there and find forgiveness there. And find growth in our lives that we've never seen before there. Jesus says, yeah, judgment is coming, but it's not here yet. He looks at this crowd in chapter 12 and he says, you guys can look around and you see that it's going to be hot because you feel the wind blowing. You look at the sky and you see clouds coming and you know it's going to rain, but you look around at this world and you see these terrible things happening. You don't realize judgment is just around the corner and God is holding it back and yet people like these Galileans die. People like these folks, when the tower falls on them, they die, not because they're worse than anyone else. They die because judgment's coming for all of us. And God is trying to wake us up. I was trying to imagine this week what it would be like if I was a worshiper of the Lord and I was cut down by those Romans. If I was a worshiper of God and I was standing next to the tower of Siloam and it fell on me and destroyed me and I stand in heaven with the Father, what I think, you know what, God, why did you cut me down so soon? Why did you let me be destroyed in such a way? I think from that vantage point, I don't think any of us would think that. I think we would see the thousands upon thousands of men and women and children over the last 2,000 years who who those tragedies opened their eyes to see that judgment is coming. And, And I would think, hey, if that tower falling on me and ending my life too soon caused someone in Castro Valley, California in 2014, or someone in Rome in AD 57 or whenever it was to turn to the Lord because they were woken up by realizing that God is coming back in judgment, and they repented, If I was the one who who the tower fell on and I was standing with the Lord, I, I would hopefully realize that sometimes God allows bad things to happen to good people or his people because he's got a bigger plan in mind. Maybe tonight, this is a moment that you turn to the Lord. Someday you'll meet those folks in heaven. And that tragedy, which is still a tragedy that happened to them, was used by God to change your eternal destiny. And Jesus says, it's not because those people were worse than anyone else. Stop thinking that way. God is trying to show you that judgment is coming and he's given you time, but not all the time in the world says, "Repent, Turn around, go back to him, or you too will perish." Last Sunday night, I went home and said goodnight to my wife, and then went over and hung out with Paul at his house. He lives over by Redwood Chapel. And we're sitting in his backyard and, and talking, and, and probably around 11:30 midnight, we hear all this commotion on the other side of his fence. And there are lights everywhere, like flashlights and yelling, and we're like, "What is going on?" All of a sudden, we see these kids, booking it, just, whoosh, 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 whoosh. and you kind of hear the sound of people jumping over chain-link fences. And then, around the corner, come these two kids, and they, there's this chain-link fence at the end of Paul's yard, and they bunch, bunch up against it, and they scoot down between this like container on the other side of Paul's fence and his fence, and they're standing there squished, staring at us but they don't know we're there. And so Paul and I are sitting out there on his back porch, and we look down, and we see these kids like... <sighs> and I'm like, what? What is going on? And so we stand up. We go down there. And these kids look terrified. Paul says, can I help you guys with something? The kid says... Sir, the cops are after us. You gotta help us, man. Like, what? what did you do? He's like, we were standing on Redwood Road, we were throwing lemons at cars. And Paul says, really? (laughs) My car got hit by a lemon tonight. And I said, as a matter of fact, Paul, (laughs) my car got hit by a lemon tonight. And the kids just, they looked like they were about to pee their (laughs) pants. Like, sirs, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Sorry. If you could get us out of this, we, we are so sorry. We should not have done that. That was an immature thing to do. We should not have thrown these lemons at your cars. Please just help us, help us. And we look over and we see these flashlights and can't really tell who it was. looks like a, a couple of people walking their dogs and maybe a police officer, maybe these kids thought it was the SWAT team coming on them, right? <laughs> And so we let them hang for a little bit, right? We, uh, we go over and we're like, well, let's check and see what the police are up to and I'm like, oh man, I think they might find you. <laughs> They're right there. They're like, please don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. And Paul says to, to the folks walking the dogs, like, can I help you guys? Like, oh, we're just looking for some kids. We said, okay. <laughs> and we're standing there, watching these people, listening to the kids sweat. You could hear it. That's how nervous they were. And finally, the, the couple with the dogs, they walk away, turn off the flashlights, and Paul unlocks his gate, and these kids, like, fall through. And, and they come back up with us, and they sit down at the picnic table out in the back patio. And, and it's like Paul and I disappeared at that moment, and they started talking to each other. First kid says, I'm 18, man. I can't go to jail for this. What are we doing? I'm going locked up. What are, what are we doing? We've got to stop doing stuff like this. The other kid's like, I know, I'm on the track team. <laughs> I'm just a sophomore. I'm in the AP classes. I'm working hard. I don't want to get locked up for this. And finally, they realized that we were there too. And the, the young kid turns over to us and says, can I ask you a question? We threw lemons at your car. And then get chased into your backyard and instead of turning us in you helped us. Why would you do that? And Paul says I did some stupid things when I was a kid. Maybe you guys have some time to start making some good choices now. And we took these kids home and as we drop them off, you could tell that they were just bewildered about the whole thing. And I dropped one kid off. He lives over by the church somewhere. And I said, hey, if you guys need anything, we work up at that Three Crosses church. You come and find us. And, and you could just see something did not compute. And in my heart, what I wanted to do from the moment the lemon was lobbed <laughs> was destroy these kids. But as we think of passages like this, we see that the way that God looks at us is he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Sometimes we get judgment. And I'm for judgment and justice, not judgment, justice. And yet the way God looks at us is sometimes he gives us more time because who knows? Maybe we'll turn to him and and start bearing fruit. these folks who are so interested in Luke's time at judgment coming to their enemies are confronted with a message that says God is the judge and yet in his grace he waits for repentance If we understood the heart of God, maybe our hearts would change towards our enemies as well. And instead of looking forward to their judgment day, whether it's on the side of a freeway or in our backyard, (laughs) lemon-handed, or as true enemies, we would begin to pray and love our enemies Because who knows? Maybe they'll turn and be forgiven. Tonight, if any of us find ourselves as enemies of God, running from him, either angrily or waywardly or unknowingly from him, Jesus says, you need to know that judgment is coming, but it's not here yet. And the reason it's not God is giving you time to turn so that he can transform you and start bringing fruit out of your life will you let him we all need grace will you receive it let's close in prayer Father, I pray for those in this room who don't know they need your grace. Whether it's because they don't know about you at all or they think they're too good for it, that they would see that all of us are lost and wayward and you desire for us to come to you. You don't delight in bringing judgment on people, delight in lavishing grace and mercy. And letting the judgment that fell on your son pay the penalty for the sins of those of us who rebel against him. And pray for all of us as we take communion tonight that it would be a tangible reminder that we need your grace. That it's not anything that we do or we take in or we push out of our lives that makes us holy in your eyes. It's Jesus. We rebelled, and he was punished for it. We earned death, and he rose to life. Tonight, as we take this bread and dip it in this cup and we eat of it, let us remember the body that was given for us on the cross, the blood that was poured out for us. We think the blood of some Galileans is unjust. The blood of your son is the most unjust bloodshedding in the history of humankind, and yet In the cross, we also see perfect justice because Jesus was treated as our sins deserve. Let us, in this tangible way, as we take communion, receive him. And remember, as Jesus says, and proclaim, as Jesus said, the death of the one that earned grace for us. And let us be people as recipients of your grace, God, and live likewise. Let us live like the prophet Micah spoke, that we would be people who do justly but love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Be with us as we reflect. And for those who need to turn from the way they're going and come back to you, we pray that you would give them the courage and the grace to do that even in this moment, and that you would forgive their sins. And give them new life as they come to you and receive your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional 613 messages, or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.